This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 596, a conversation with Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. This is episode 596. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is our conversation with Graham Nolan and Chuck Dixon episode. This is actually the third time Chuck's been on the show and the second time that Graham's been on the show. Uh, the last time that both of them were on the show was back in uh, 2017. Uh, they were on separate episodes talking about the, at the time, newly launched Bane, Con- Bane Conquest Maxi series, a 12-issue series, uh, which recently wrapped in June. Uh, so I had a chance to sit down and chat with both on the same call. Uh, uh, talking about you know what worked in the series um, and basically kind of going through not blow by blow necessarily but kind of talking about some of the highlights of working on the series together their collaboration um, certain elements that were a lot of fun to draw in the case of uh, Graham uh, things that Chuck really liked being able to write characters he liked being able to bring in uh, managing to inject a bit of dark humor into an otherwise very serious story uh, so it was a great conversation that I was able to have with both of them just kind of chatting about uh, the Bane Conquest series which is extremely fun uh, it's a great read. Um, near the end of the episode, we also talk about some of the upcoming projects for both Chuck and for Graham. Uh, Graham, in spe- Graham specifically, I should say. Uh, we talked about his uh, currently ongoing Kickstarter campaign, uh, which um, there will be a link to it uh, in the show notes. Uh, so if you access the show notes or if you go to commercialshenanigans.podbean.com uh, and you'll see the most recent episode, you'll be able to actually see the link for the, uh, the Kickstarter campaign as it's going to be ending soon uh it ends thursday july 26th at 11:59 p.m eastern so uh, you still have time to uh to fund the monster island uh or to get the uh the black book uh which is um a collection of uh, uh you know amazing art uh it's it's called black book the art of graham nolan uh it's a hardcover uh, it's one of the tiers uh for the kickstarter campaign so a lot of great stuff that's on there so i really uh, want to ensure people are checking it out uh, to help him to fund it and uh, Graham Duffo has a passion for bringing Monster Island back and putting in this hardcover and also working on more Monster Island stories um, so if you really want, kind of want to get in not at the ground floor that would have been you know years and years and years ago when it first happened but if you really want to get behind the resurgence of this you definitely want to check out the Kickstarter campaign so again that will be in the show notes uh, if you want to just uh, check those out you'll be able to see a link and you'll be able to uh, help fund uh, Graham's Kickstarter anyways without further ado and you've had enough practice from me. Uh, we're going to get right into the episode in just a moment. Just some housekeeping first. You can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and you can also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Comic Shenanigans, and we'll jump right into the interview with Graham and Chuck. Chuck, Graham, welcome back to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. I love the excitement. Well, it's, it's it's a thrill for me to have both of you on at the same time because last year didn't quite work out because of scheduling. So I'm glad that we're able to uh, chat with both of you at the same time. Should be fun. Right. Yeah, should be fun. Yeah, we've, now, we've talked once or twice together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, um, Graham, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, Bob. <laughs> it's good to good to bring people together, right? <laughs> So, so Chuck, last time we had you on the show, Bane Conquest number one had just come out, and then when I chatted with Graham last year, issue two had just come out. So we said at the time, let's get you guys back when the whole enchilada is complete and all 12 issues have come out. So I guess a very general question is, what have you felt the response to be to the series now that it is completed? Well, um, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, people that, that read it liked it. <laughs> they told me they liked it so uh, I think mostly Graham and I did it for ourselves so I know I'm happy <laughs> yeah me too I mean and we, and we did it with lack of support so <laughs> yeah, yeah I didn't see any uh, house ads or any big push for it so it was basically all on us no I, I gotta ask like now, you, see, uh, you know uh, uh, uh to give them props, I mean, they left us all alone. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was the best part. Yeah, they, yeah, they they didn't micromanage us or anything. They they in fact they just you know almost left us two alone. <laughs> 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 you know, it would have been nice if they chimed in once in a while and said, "Hey, we're loving this." You know, yeah, yeah. out of boy. <laughs> <laughs> I think they, 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 
that one minor change on uh, issue one where Bane was in the shower. They wanted his bare bottom obscured a little oh, bit that's more. That's right. I'm, thinking, I'm thinking with all the other stuff you guys published, you're concerned right. that some guy's naked ass? I mean, yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't even a close-up. It was off in the no. distance. Yeah, seriously. It was just like, the guy's in the shower. He's naked. So what? Yeah. And so we had to put, have Greg put, like, uh, some steam around him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I have a, I have a question about uh, Bane's depiction artistically, Graham. About, it, it felt like throughout the series, you put him in a lot of different outfits that were a little bit different for him. You had kind of having the kind of the bigger neck piece. You had him in, a, you know, big bulky coats. Uh, what was that like kind of coming up with different variations on a theme to kind of show him in different missions and doing different things and having a different look? Because obviously Bane, everyone's used to looking him looking a certain way almost every right. time they see him. But in here, you actually played with it a lot more and got to give him different looks. What kind of went into those designs? Well, I, I played with it because um, everybody else has. <laughs> yeah. Ever since, you know, from the, the time other people have done Bane, uh, since Chuck and I had done anything with him prior to doing um, Bane Conquest, it's like everybody and his brother has decided they're going to redesign Bane, you know, and, and they gave him, uh, in the new 52, just the stupidest mask uh, and the stupidest <laughs> outfit I'd ever seen. So I figured, well... You know, Bane hasn't been depicted in the classic look in a long time, so I'm going to give it my shot, and I want to return him to sort of the classic look, but I wanted to correct some of the things that I didn't like in the original design. Um, like, I returned him to his original mask, where his nose and his mouth were uh, were open. Mm. Um, that was my original design that DC decided to cover, you know, to, to change it. And, you know, I thought it was kind of a... a cool look and they used it in the animated series as well and I, I, I wanted to be able to do a version with that um, so and then you know the neck piece that was just you know uh, was trying to come up with something uh, more modern looking and and something better for the uh, for the hoses to go into in the back because the thing that was on the back of his neck in the original design didn't seem to work you know all he had to do was shrug his shoulders and that thing would be all loose and everything so <laughs> just you know, little things that I was playing with. So that's what went into the thinking of the, the redesign. Um, and then, you know, the other stuff was, was pretty much story-related. You know, if Bane was out in the wilderness in the cold, he'd have to have a coat of some type, you know. I mean, he'd have to wear something. Um, but then we returned him to the classic original costume for the last issue, uh, you know, just so everybody could geek out. For sure. Now, a question. So, even when you do give him the big coat and stuff, I like that he still had it open. Like he was still, he was still Bane. You know, like he still had yeah. that sense of bravado just in the visual. Like he was, he had it there technically to you know keep warm, but still be a badass because he's everyone else is like you know huddled up and, and, and wearing gear, and he's still got that you know the open jacket thing going on. And Bane exudes uh, toxic masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> probably also warm all the time from all the steroids so it's kind yeah, of yeah, open. and it's true you know that's a good but point I, I like the idea that, that Graham could play with the costume because you know the character's become so iconic now since you know he first envisioned it that you could play a lot with the costume it still looks like Bane for sure um, one thing, uh, obviously, and I talked about this with both of you guys before, but the idea that, um, you know, Bird had a kind of a more modern redesign. He obviously didn't have the hair he used to have, which, again, I actually kind of liked, but I, I get that it's, you know, of, of a certain era. Um, one thing I noticed more and more in the, in the way in which you guys both wrote him and illustrated him was, uh, Chuck, you'd said before that you always envisioned him as kind of being the American of the group. And that felt more and more defined to me as the series went on than I think it had ever been before. Um, how did you kind of approach that to again kind of flesh that out a bit more and Graham how did you kind of artistically be able to show that you know, this is the American guy and he kind of exudes that that look in terms of the depiction yeah, well, well we had more room uh, than we've ever had before to flesh these characters out so you know I just sort of just leaned into the Americanism you know he was uh, good at comebacks you know uh, and uh, more uh, not really slangy but sort of the patois in the way an American would speak. And he was more frank with Bane than the other characters, more direct, mm. which I think is also an American trait. Uh, the other two are, are, are more ready to follow without questioning. And the thing is that Bane, 
we show in the series that Bain relies on that uh, on Bird's ability to critique him. Uh, he, he does want to hear another opinion, even if he has no intention of following it. <laughs> so, um, so we were able to give these other three characters a lot more room to breathe and show, you know, what their relationship is like. These guys aren't just henchmen; they really are Bane's closest comrades. Yeah, in fact, uh, in this series, uh, Chuck really established Bird as Bane's right hand man. You know, his, he was sort of the confidant and. and, and the guy who Bane would bounce everything off of. Um, my favorite redesign was Zombie because uh, I really got to run with him, uh, you know, and I turned him into like a real zombie. And, and uh, uh, you know, I wanted him to have this ability to suck the souls out of people and uh, that kind of stuff, and, and really make him more of a scary-looking dude with the, with the mouth sewn shut, you know, like something from a Val Luton film, you know. For sure. Well, and that definitely comes across because he's creepier than has ever been because you don't know what he's thinking. Like everyone else, you know, as you said, Bert has the one-liners. Trog kind of has his own way of talking. And then Zombie's just absolutely, you know, silent. And then again, with that creepy um, effect on the mouth, it really adds a sense of menace. And then when you actually have him absorbing people, it's creepy. Yeah, yeah we really know what Zombie is. Either. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what is he? <laughs> yeah, what's his deal? <laughs> That's a whole other backstory right there that we could explore someday. Well, you know, zombies ever become popular. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A question I had, so obviously a very important character in the book is uh, Dionysius, or I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, but um, it it felt like he was kind of your favorite to write and draw it sometimes, that, you know, this this creepy new character who plays a very integral part, has a very definitive personality, very, very larger than life, um, and has such a a great, creepy design. How did this kind of character come about, both uh, the way you were writing the character, and also where did the visual come from? Because, again, it's very distinctive. The visual came first, before... Uh, you know I, what we t- talked about uh, doing uh, the series and stuff. You know I came up with Dylan, um, and originally we were going to do a different different kind of story uh, where uh, um, Dionysus was much more um, uh, of a world builder. Uh, you know uh, rather than doing the whole thing with um, with uh, Cobra, um, but. Um, uh, the look I, I came up with, uh, it's actually based on somebody, and I don't want to say who it is because it would be rude of me. Um, <laughs> uh, but, so the, 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 the face is based on, uh, on somebody, and I always loved these characters that were more head than anything else. Guys like Modoc, you know, I thought those were so creepy looking and cool, and so, you know, I came up with this disgusting looking face this head basically this living head uh, and, and then full size arms but skinny little things you know that has to have these mechanical helpers around them because it's just so weak you know but, but the mind was everything you know he's it, like half machine half human you know yeah and I like the idea that you know of introducing Damocles who you know is set up so he seems like he's going to be the big bad guy for the series and of course, he's just a henchman. Uh, he's a he's a front for Dionysus, and uh, and you know, and then Dionysus is physically no threat to anybody, which I think is a great counter to Bane because Bane is so physical. And uh, so then it becomes literally a, a chess match between the two of them. And uh, I just like the idea of this like Peter Lorre type character. You know, you can never trust him. He's so sincere and so convincing, but you know, you can never trust him. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And, I, and, and my favorite scene, I think, in the whole series is what is the, the running guy that he keeps beating Bane in chess. Because <laughs> Bane fans will remember that Bane was able to feed, defeat Ra's al Ghul at chess. So, right, yeah, I, I liked how uh, uh, Dionysus is uh, kept ending up in these really humiliating situations. Uh, <laughs> you know, like ending up in a, in a, in a pet carrier. Uh, he ended up in, you know, in a terrarium, yep. you know, <laughs> with little lizards crawling all over him. You know, it's like there's this guy who thinks he's the hot shit, you know, and he's got, you know, he ends up with a bunch of lizards crawling all over. 
you you bring something up that's interesting, Graham, when you were saying about how obviously the idea was for him to kind of be that world builder and then it changed to the story about Cobra. Um, when you guys kind of plotted everything out, like how far in advance did you kind of have the the full kind of story plotted before you started penciling it or was it still kind of a, a work in motion? It, it was pretty complete uh, when we finally presented something to DC. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I think it was all it was all there except the nuances and there were, well, quite a few surprises we threw in. Some of them I surprised Graham with. So, uh, I don't, you know, I know he didn't see Steppenwolf coming, but when I thought of it, I was like, oh my God, I've got yeah. this. I've got to put Steppenwolf in. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, we, we realized they were going to interact with all these different gangs. And I thought, well, why not Intergang? Well, who supplies Intergang with their weapons? Well, we got to have a cameo by somebody from Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, that particular little sub subplot really worked out well. How did you decide that? Yeah, again. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Graham. It's, it's breadcrumbs. That we, we were laying breadcrumbs all throughout this thing, hoping that you know they would um, see it for what it was and, and and want us to continue on with other things. Yeah, that's too. We threw everything but the kitchen sink in there too, because we even brought back uh, um, Chick and Wilbur who were, it's basically Abbott and Costello, they were these background characters that throughout our run on Detective were always showing up in odd jobs because they'd always get fired for screwing up. <laughs> and so Chick and Wilbur were, you know, security guards or they were working at the uh, the baseball park, you know, with a Philly fanatic or, uh, you know, all these different things they would show up at in, in, in our Detective comics. And, you know, as we're going on, you know, was this, we're coming to the end and I realized we hadn't put Chicken Wilbur in here so um, when I saw the script for I think it's issue 10 with the rocket where, where they're launching Bruce Wayne's rocket and I said to Chuck we gotta get those two guys in the in the, uh, in the command center there they, they gotta be Chicken Wilbur so we changed their names and I drew them as Chicken Wilbur <laughs> yeah, we, even, we, we even snuck some nuns into the story at the end because so, that was a, a, a thing we did in Detective every now and then the, the mystery nun so, why the question? Oh about? yeah, I forgot about the mystery nun. Yeah, you forgot about because we never got to pay it off. But you know, the mystery nun would show up now and again. So I thought, well, let's end with a couple of nuns. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, um, I had a question about the orphanage at the end. Um, I guess Saint Dismas was that a reference to anything in particular? Uh, Dismas is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, one of the thieves on the cross next to Christ. Okay. So I, you know, I use Dismas every once in a while, just to see if anybody catches it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, I, to to do spoilers, but a question about the end. So, I mean, you, the ending. There's a lot going on in that last issue, and it's a pretty exciting, big issue. And you have a great moment of you know Batman and Bane in um, what is it, the Bat Submersible or the sorry, the Sea Bat? Um, what, like it does as as a reader, I'm like, well, what what happened next? <laughs> <laughs> they sort of came to an understanding. I, I, I mean, we'll never know what happened, you know, once they handed the baby over. Like, and, uh, you know, but I, but I, one thing I did know, I did not want to end this with a Batman-Bane fight. Because hmm. we've already been there. We've, we've done that, right? you know. And, For sure. And, you know, uh, and so I, I, it really wasn't until scripting the 12th issue that I figured out, oh, how the hell are we going to get this baby to this orphanage and without one or the other killing the other and uh, right. what, what kind of uh, what's going to happen that changes Bane's mind and of course it's Batman he's a persuasive guy mm-hmm. you know and, and Batman and, and what I like about it is that Bane defeated Batman originally because he knew all about Batman he knew everything about him well by this point Batman knows everything about Bane and that's what he uses to persuade him mm. he, know, he knows his whole life I did one thing I did think of though is that I mean earlier in this you, you showed throughout the series the idea that you know Bay needs a lot of rest especially after he kind of uses the venom and he kind of needs to conk out and when he kind of you know settled in in the sea bat to take a nap basically I was like well Batman could just keep him sedated now yeah it's true it's true yeah because he would he would just go out you know he you know he'd be gone 
and I like I like that you added that dimension to Bane because again it, it makes him a more kind of fully realized character that you know he's not just this you know always on he has his moments where he has to just recharge he's just a guy uh, he's a pretty powerful guy very smart guy but he's still a guy who needs to rest yeah we also wanted to show the uh, you know the, the, the negative results of basically being a drug addict hmm. you know uh, you know, once the adrenaline's drained, you know, and, and the venom is, you know, worked its magic, you know, this guy's got nothing left. His tank is empty, and and you know, because uh, you know, the, ultimately, I see the, you know, the venom obviously is going to be a health problem for this guy over time. Hmm. Well, even his crew, I guess, throughout the, as the series progresses, are asking him like, "Are you sure you should be taking so much?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really wanted to keep that aspect because, I mean, from the beginning, that was his flaw. That was his weakness. Is is that he's an addicted to this stuff, and and it's part addiction and part. Now that he's on it, he's got to stay on. Because we, you know, we did a story. You know, in a, in one story we did, we showed what happens to him when he's off of it. Hmm. You know, he just turns into this sloth. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I want to ask a question about uh, in, in Bates' defense he was in prison and you know oh I know I know it wasn't his choice you know but you know he was and, they, and you know, I guess they were feeding him a lot of carbs <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> and he wasn't out in the yard pumping iron no you know but you know I mean if, if once you're on that stuff you know there's what you know pumping iron is only going to do so much you can't really you know once you use that stuff, you've got to keep using it to stay in that kind of shape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What uh, What led you to use Cobra as the kind of the, the major rival organization that would dominate much of the series? I mean, the, the, as you, as we've kind of talked about, you've it seems like you have a, a few different acts throughout the within the twelve issues series. But really, once it becomes Cobra, uh, it, you know, it's kind of a headlong collision into how is he going to you know be able to topple Cobra or take advantage. So, how did why did Cobra kind of speak as the organization you needed to use for that? Well, you can't go wrong with a Kirby creation, and uh, I had used Cobra quite a bit. They were like my default, you know, bad guys. You know, global bad guys back when I was doing working on you know the books I was working on at DC and uh, and I kind of was was like into their whole mythology with the Naja Naja and I thought well you know that's such a great gimmick uh, and that's their weakness is you know they have this Dalai Lama like setup where if their leader dies they gotta go out and find this baby born at the same time and and uh, and, and if you look at like the the, the established DC underworld hierarchy, Cobra's really it. They're really at the top of the heap. And so Bane would eventually work his way up to them to try to take them down. Now, Graham, how did, how did you how do you like illustrating the, the Cobra fanatics? I mean, they obviously have different looks, and uh, you, you got to kind of experiment and show them and also have, um, you know, their big bad and kind of develop what they're, I mean, they, we are, they're, they already have a defined look, but you got to play with it a little. What is it like kind of illustrating these types of characters? Well, it wasn't my first go around with Cobra because we use them in uh, Bane of the Demon. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I started looking at, uh, you know, for reference for the way they looked, and it was very difficult to find reference that matched because uh, every iteration of Cobra is different. Um, so I, you know, particularly, you know, with all the reboots that DC has done, you know. So um, I found some more current ones, and then also I went back and looked at the Kirby guys, the orange ones with the, with the green tunics, and so then we kind of set up a hierarchy, you know, and we use the orange tunic guys as like the um, uh, the brain trust or the, the leaders, you know, the, uh, of the group, and, and then the more slick, form-fitting costume green guys were the 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 um uh like the navy type guys the guys that were on the submarine and then we had like the uh the uh, assault team type which had more of the gear uh and, and the shoulder harnesses and all that kind of junk on them so um, i just kind of took a little bit of all the different kinds of stuff and, and married it together hmm I want to actually, this is off topic a little bit for a moment, but uh, Graham, you definitely put together one of my favorite panels in the series, um, is that um, uh, 
uh, when you have zombie at the uh, hospital in Mexico, just looking over the the infants that are all born there, and it's just you know a, a quick shot, but it's so creepy because he because again it's but his body language he looks very again very proper, but again he's got that hideous mouth and that weird kind of vacant look in his eyes, and you just have these totally right. you know helpless children. And I'm like that's really chilling. <laughs> Like it was very effective, and it was interesting because again, like the, the panels right before it, you had you know Trog in shadow, kind of watching a child get bathed uh, in India, um, kind of in yep. you know just uh, kind of off a passageway. Then in Australia, you have Bird with a, a horrible accent, just you know in ridiculous clothes trying to take a picture, and then you just had Zombie looking creepy as hell. Which <laughs> <laughs> was very effective. It does that look well. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, so as as you develop, so you have Cobra as the you know the kind of the big bad. Um, was it pretty easy when you thought of how do we use Cobra to have the Naja Naja die and have it be all about this this quest for the baby, or is that a pretty easy or quick thing that you kind of came up with in terms of being the central kind of reason for what they're going to end up doing against Cobra? Well, I you know I wanted them you know obviously their their plan is to kill the Naja Naja and then get to jump on Cobra to find the kid, you know, and, and even then, you know, while Cobra is in a search mode, they're, they're at their weakest point because uh, they've all got knives out for each other, you know, Cobra is not made up of a bunch of nice guys, so they're all going to start settling scores while there's no true leader, hmm. and, uh, you know, that's what Bane relies on, uh, but then it was like, you know, how, how do you make it more interesting than that, you know, you just don't want to assassinate the guy. Uh, so uh, I came up with the idea of you know showing this guy as a total reprehensible a hole. I mean, he really didn't like this guy. No. And and uh, so when he dies, you know, no, there's not going to be any tears shed. And uh, then I like the idea that they did. You know, he dies by misadventure. Uh, <laughs> that, that, you know, that was kind of I thought of while I was scripting. I thought, wouldn't it be funny if Bane fails yet succeeds? So. <laughs> Well, and that was really well depicted by you, Graham. But you really sold that moment of this guy just like haplessly, like basically offing himself by accident, just because he's not careful and he's just that much of a dick. <laughs> and you're, you're you're not you're not sad when he dies, and you're, again, you're kind of rooting for Bane. You're like, well, there you go, he still succeeded. <laughs> yeah, well, I see. That's the beauty of working with somebody like Graham, you know, a master storyteller. I mean, I I could get away with stuff because I knew. You know, he's going to pull this off. He's going to make this perfect. So you can do those subtle nuances that, for me, are, is missing from a lot of comics now. But, you know, the guy knows what he's doing. For sure. Uh, one thing I like about the series that as much as, you know, obviously you have high stakes, you have a lot of good drama um, and, you know, suspense and some mystery, but you also have a, a fair bit of humor, actually. Um, one of my favorite pieces, which I would imagine would have been fun to kind of script, is when you had um, in the, the main sequence when they're when the baby is first kind of being taken and Bane and his uh, cronies are trying to get it and they end up uh, driving their van into their vehicle and they're just being laughed at being like this is your plan and then they just <laughs> blow up the vehicle it was very very funny <laughs> you know, I, I, I like the idea that Bane and his crew they're not really in Cobra's League <laughs> you know, they're, uh, they're sort of making up as they go along guys uh, but they, they always come out on top because that, they're just so damn tough yeah, well, and that felt very refreshing because, again, I think comics sometimes are a little too serious, and especially with a character like Bane, is almost taken too seriously at times. That uh, I like that he, here he's fallible, his guys are fallible, uh, not everything always works out. Um, you know, they, they are, you know, half the time they're just kind of working to fix their own mess, but they figure it out uh, almost like a hero would, but a lot bloodier. And I like that, you know, you, you gave that nuance to the team so that they weren't just, you know, these badasses who never failed. They fail a lot, but they figure it out. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, to take the serious stuff serious, you, you need the humor as a contrast. I really do. And that makes it, you know, the serious stuff and the stakes and the fighting and adventure seems all that more believable uh, because of the humor. I mean, you, you talked about the, the the scene where Zombie's looking in at the babies in the nursery. Well, if you did 22 pages of that, it gets boring. Hmm. But that one panel, you know, following two comedic panels, you know, that, that set it up. And, and, and you know, and, and Graham and I, we, I, I don't think we can help ourselves when it's put puts humor in the story. We just, <laughs> it's, it's just a natural knee-jerk reaction for us. Absolutely. 
When writing Bane's dialogue, it felt like you definitely injected a lot of Spanish. Um, where did that, like, were you very consciously trying to make sure that you weren't forgetting where he was from and that this is the way he would speak, especially when he's really pissed off? Because it seemed like usually it was in heightened moments of anger where the Spanish would slip out. Yeah, well, if you ever meet anybody who speaks two languages, they're always going to fall back on their original language when the one they grew up on when they get angry. Uh, but, um, um, yeah, I was a li- I was a little more conscious of it, and not for like diversity's sake or anything else. But I'm living in, in Central Florida now, and I do a lot of one day shows, and I run into a lot of Cuban Americans, <laughs> and man, they love Bane. They just love Bane. And I thought, well, I got to make him more recognizable to them, mm. you know. So throwing in some Spanish phraseology that most Americans understand, and if they don't understand it, they understood it in context. I thought it just makes it seem more like you're hearing his voice with an accent. Now, this this question, I'm, uh, you've kind of already alluded to it, that there wasn't a lot of kind of editorial oversight or a lot of con- kind of connection going on. But um, when you ha- when you did it, use Batman a couple times, obviously at the beginning and then at the end, was there any discussion about how you were going to use him or, you know, how that kind of fit into what other people were doing with their own Batman stories? Or were you kind of given free reign to just use him as you will? Because, again, you have a track record with this character. We were left alone. Yeah, they they didn't tell us anything. We uh, we could have put him in more of the store if we wanted to, or less. I don't think they would have noticed. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think in the outline we even mentioned him returning in the last two issues. Oh, really? Because that whole yeah, yeah. that whole uh, infiltrating Bane's gang thing that all came up after while while we were working. It's a, it's a, yeah. it's a, it's an interesting part of the story because I like how you know it's everything is about Cobra until Batman's there, and you have char- yeah. <laughs> and, you, and you have characters comment on it too, and I like that again. It's the idea of you know he's a flawed guy, and as much as most of the series has been about power and control and you know being at top, sometimes when Batman's there, he just remembers that that that's part of his calling too. Yeah, the page where Gunhawk backs off as soon as he sees Batman. <laughs> <laughs> like that was fun, yeah. right? And I know it was fun for Grandpa Draw. Where he's just like, "Oh no, I'm out of here." <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on, we're out of here, buddy. <laughs> now I'm going to ask a question that uh, I, I feel embarrassed to ask: Is is Gunhawk a pre-existing character, and I just didn't know about him? <laughs> yeah, he's a yeah. he's a creation of Graham and I. Okay. Like I, I loved his use here, but I, I, just, I didn't actually know if he was pre-existing or not. But I did enjoy the way he was written and the way he was illustrated. It was really cool, and it was a, a nice addition to the crew. Yeah, he was in a couple of arcs in Detective, and yeah. I've used, I've used him. You know, I used him all over the place. I used him in lots of places whenever I needed a mercenary or whatever. And and uh, Gun Bunny too. She was a member of the Ravens, the group that used to fight uh, Birds of Prey. Oh, okay. Huh. So really, do you really uh, digging deep into your well of characters? Yeah, I mean, why not? You know, yeah. uh, we're creating our own continuity here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We we don't know if any of this stuff is going to be canon or not. You know, uh, we sort of get the feeling that it's not. Hmm. Which is which is sad if that is the case because again it was an immensely enjoyable series and I I, I want to see more of what these guys are doing because you know this part of the story is over the Cobra story is over but that doesn't mean that Bane's done so like I, I would love to see more because it felt like there's still so much more that could be done a, a question I did have about the last page this is just more of a curiosity uh, how much money do you think uh, they left for that kid yeah, seventy bucks. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They didn't leave enough. It's obvious. Well, there's a, there's at least a hundred bucks because at least there's a hundred around whatever else is in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's all hundred. It was a it was a pimp it's roll. Pimp roll. It's a hundred on the outside. Depends on who left the money. Uh, was it Bruce or Bane? Bane left the Bane left the teddy bear, but did Bruce leave the money? Yeah, you know, I, I would just assume that Bruce would continue to send money. So. Yeah, exactly. That's fair. That that would make sense. Now, I did have a question. So you have the bear there. Um, what like what kind of what were your thoughts on actually having like we saw earlier in the series he had the bear in that frame case. So is that is is that the exact same bear? And what do you think that means for him to give that up? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
No, no, I, I think, you know, it's his bear. That means something to him. So the gift wouldn't mean anything if it was just any old bear. And secondly, I think it's like symbolic of him moving on. Hmm. Now, question about the nuns. Do you think they threw out the bear since it's half mutilated? <laughs> I sure hope not for their sake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if Bane ever came visiting, where's the bear? What, you did what? <laughs> now, now, hey, where's the bear? <laughs> <laughs> Were there any other characters that you wanted to uh, inject as, as part of Bane's gang that you just didn't end up kind of having the space for or figured, you know what, maybe maybe this just doesn't quite fit or was this always kind of the ideal squad that you wanted to use? We talked about We wanted to use his, his real squad. I mean, because we never got to play with them in Nightfall. I mean, they were sort of ciphers, really. I mean, uh, we saw them a little bit in, in Vengeance of Bane, but we never really got to delve into them uh, and their relationship with Bane. So it was really cool. And since Chuck and I own those or have ownership in those three characters, we wanted to really bring them back and try and do something with them. Yeah, and the additions to the gang, uh, I think I think Graham made a list and I made a list that we, we chose from that. Hmm. You know, what existing... Oh, oh yeah, 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 right. You know, uh, I can't remember. I know we rejected a couple, but I can't remember who they were. Yeah, I can't remember either. Now, how did uh, how did Faraday get on your list? Uh, I, I I was watching a lot of Bond movies, and I thought let's 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 bring Faraday in here and, and show him as sort of a loser, James Bond. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, just he's not you know quite up to what Bond. You know, he's sort of low rent. You know, he's not hanging out at the casino. He's in a back room somewhere. And he drinks too much and he smokes too much and the rest of it. Which, you know, we find out, you know, very subtly is all a cover. Mm -hmm. You know, he's still in the CIA, but he's, you know, this whole uh, fallen act is a cover. Now, another character that you used... um Oh, now I'm, now I'm forgetting exactly who it was. <laughs> I was. I had a question and then I lost it. Um, in that group, um, I'm trying to think who else was in the the new additions. Um, well, we oh. had the Zulu character. Yeah. And uh, and we had KG Beast. KG Beast. That's that's what I want to ask about. So you, you here you have him very much kind of the, a broken down kind of not shell of a man, but he's not really the KG Beast we, we remember. And then you kind of bring him back, and he gets you know back part of the fold. Uh, I was very intrigued by uh, Graham's decision to kind of, again. He looks very beaten down, and I guess we're used to just seeing him usually with the mask. But here you have kind of a looking very haggard, very kind of old. What kind of motivated that look visually for this character? Um, uh, I think Chuck wrote in the script, you know, that he was beaten up, you know, and he was pretty ragged. Uh, so uh, I just, you know, I looked at the last time I did the KG Beast, which was in uh, Bain, uh, Vengeance of Bane 2, and uh, I saw he was missing a hand. Uh, I had him, I drew him missing a tooth. Um, and uh, I just kind of like tapped into that and then just made him look, you know, a little worse than it used to. Hmm. Yeah, we kind of, I, I kind of wanted to bring him in because uh, Bane sort of replaced KG Beast in the Batman Rose Gallery. You know, when the Soviet Union fell, he became irrelevant, hmm. and uh, he was kind of like the Bane of his day because he was he was smart and tough. So uh, I, I, I wanted to bring him in, and then, you know, he's older and he's not in shape. But he's still tough, and the mind is still there, and he's still ruthless as hell. So, of course, Bane would recruit him. For sure. Um, a question as well. So, w- when you have the sequences when they're 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 breaking into Cobra's uh, kind of major lair, um, and, and you know, Dionysus thinks it's a you know a suicide mission. They're not coming back. Um, you have a lot of, you know, artillery. You have a lot of, um, you know, weapons. Graham, what kind of reference material do you use to kind of make it all look realistic or make it look believable? Uh, like the Cobra stuff? 
Uh, well, both the Cobra stuff and also just like you know all the the weapons that are like there's a lot of artillery, especially in the the last issue when you have like the tanks and you have a lot of like gunfire. How are you being able to kind of stage this and have it all look very you know kind of realistic as much as it's still fantastic? Yeah, uh, I uh, as far as like the Cobra stuff, the Cobra weapons and stuff, I just made those up because um, I didn't, didn't want to be locked down with with drawing real ordinance you know mm-hmm. uh, um, as far as like the vehicles and stuff I base them on real or- ordinance uh, but sometimes the story um, uh, needs required me to um, change them um, so that's pretty much what I did you know uh, I-, I hate drawing a lot of like realistic guns and stuff it's, it's more fun to draw like Kirby guns you know make stuff up and add doodads on it and stuff <laughs> But they all look functional. Like blah 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, they all look functional. They all look like the real. They all look like they would work. Yeah, exactly. Like right. they, all, they all look like they're actually able to do what they're doing, as opposed to just looking fantastical. They all actually do look functional. I have a, I have a question, Graham, about uh, depicting Batman. So. Yeah, obviously you're no stranger to the character, but obviously the way in which his costume kind of looks now in terms of the, the kind of the armored look has changed throughout the years. Did you find any challenge in kind of illustrating Batman with that slightly different look now? Yeah, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't care for it. Um, and in fact, you know... I, Again, I'm a reference nut, and, and I get bogged down by reference. And when when things aren't on model, it drives me absolutely nuts. And, you know, DC didn't even have a decent turnaround model sheet of this new uniform that, that they were doing. So I had to go and get reference, have an editor send reference to me. And there's never any back views um, to see where all that piping goes. There's no um, – there's no – there's no really good – um, model sheets because of all the reference I had everyone drew it differently mm. and that was frustrating so um, yeah, I, I you know I, and so by the end when Batman shows up again at the end of it you know when he first shows up in like in his costume in issue 3 uh, it's pretty much that Greg Capullo designed costume um, but by the time we get to the end of it uh it, it, it isn't anymore. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's, he, he has this uh, thing with uh, Batman's um, cape that where it, it attaches like by his chest bone. So you can no longer have the cape fold over in front of him anymore, a la Dracula, that type of stuff. Mm. And, and I always love that look. So I just shoot that with the cape, you know, kind of like a cowl thing that, that you can flip it around and, and stuff with it gotcha uh a question about when uh batman and bane are in in the sea bat um i I like that you have the baby in uh in in a car seat inside the sea bat (laughs) that was chuck's (laughs) if batman didn't think of it alfred would have that's true Because it was a very comical scene to me that, you know, you just have Bane coming in and you see the baby already strapped into a car seat. Like, he had time to do this. Right. <laughs> Safety first. The fact that they stuck this thing into a rocket and shot it up with a baby seat in it. Like, he truly does think of everything. Maybe an unconscious nod to the 66 series because they always made sure that you, they showed them belting up in the Batmobile. That's true. That's true. Well, and I like that when Bane sits down, now he's holding the he's holding the car seat. Like, <laughs> yeah, not just holding the baby. Like he's actually holding the car seat. Like it was very, very calm. Again, a bit of humor in a very you know kind of serious and potentially tense situation when you have these two you know these two rivals in an extremely small area. Um, you know, they they can't do anything about it because they're you know in the middle of wherever in a submersible but yeah I like that the, the car seat was a great touch <laughs> I also like the um, and this is I guess more to you uh, Chuck the uh, when you have the inner gang weapons being repossessed at the end yeah like that was that was really funny yeah I, I mean it served two purposes it brought Steppenwolf back on stage because I think readers were expecting to see him again and also it, it gave those guys an escape route to, to get them out of there. I, I didn't want to just leave them in the cave. 
for sure. Well, and this is why I, I wish there was more because I do have questions like, okay, where do they go next? Do they end up? <laughs> I'd like to know that too. <laughs> <laughs> like, are they are they going to go to Apocalypse? Are they, are they wherever Inner Gang is now? Like, where are they? Are they pissed off at Bane for taking off to go against Batman? Do they know he's alive? Like, there's so many questions. I, I, I really want a sequel. and us both. <laughs> <laughs> I know, again, I your have, have, you, have you talked to DC or pitched a, 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 anything about doing a sequel? Is that something that we might end up seeing at some point? Or um, is this, you know, this 12 issue is going to kind of be as it is? Uh, it's kind of our last word for now. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like yeah. Barbara Streisand retirement. You know? We'll <laughs> see. <laughs> well, and I am glad that uh, when they when they're collecting it soon, that they're actually collecting it in all twelve issues together, as opposed to breaking them up. Because I know that was kind of the rage for a while with trade paperbacks, is that they'd kind of break up e- even something that was twelve issues. They'd still do it in you know six issue chunks. So I'm glad that you know when this is in trade, it's actually the full adventure because it's a great story. Yeah, well, I kind of intentionally broke the story up in a way that you know two six issue trades wouldn't work. So. <laughs> I'm hoping that someone would notice and say, let's just put it out as one big chunky book. Because it really is one big story. Oh, for sure. As I said, it, it has act breaks, but you know the story just keeps going and elevating and getting bigger and bigger. You, you know, Chuck, you had mentioned on our last interview that you, know, you kind of envisioned this kind of being like a, a Godfather story. Uh, do you feel that that kind of came out the, the way you meant it to? Yeah, it's a classic gangster story. You know, uh, it doesn't end with the gangster dying, but you know, uh, you know, he sets out to take over, you know, everybody else's turf and doesn't succeed to you know 100 percent of what he wanted, but leaves everything in wreckage. You know, and, you know, at the end of the story, you know, Little Caesar, Scarface, the, the guy dies, but of course we're not going <laughs> to, we are not about to kill Bane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, Graham. In working on this book, I mean, obviously it's nice to work with Chuck but, and working on Bane, but is there any particular moment in the story that was your favorite to illustrate or that you just had the most fun putting together? Actually, a question artistically: um, What was it like, kind of drawing this version of Catwoman? Obviously, very different than you know the kind of the early '90s version. So, how did you kind of approach, and did you like drawing this version of Catwoman, or was it kind of like Batman, where it's kind of like, oh, I don't really like how this works now? No, this was a Darwin Cook design, so it was great. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I enjoyed this Catwoman. And then I guess the the question to you, Chuck, would be like writing this version of Catwoman and how you wrote her here. Um, you know, she had a, a lot of bite to her, and it's always nice to kind of see her in stories where it's not just revolving around Batman. Um, so, how did you kind of approach Selina here? Well, it's the same way I always have. Uh, she's one of the only comic book characters who's completely happy with herself. You know, mm. she likes her life. Uh, she doesn't really have any. Uh, you know, there's nothing she's brooding about, and she's also tough. She's she's not going to let anybody get. Uh, the best of her, either in, in a dialogue sequence or in a fight. And I like that. And, you know, she was uh, a chess player as much as Bane was, so she always had an out. She always had a way around him. And uh, and also, we knew early on we wanted to bring in a femme fatale character because that's Bane's blind spot, is women. Hmm. So I, I wanted to, you know, have him encounter Catwoman and uh, see how that rolled. 
I did like that she was, you know, again, one of the few people in this series who just is not afraid to just totally talk back to him and is like, you're juicing up. Is that a smart thing to do? Like totally kind of dressing him down. And then his only reaction is just to yell at her, shut your mouth. I, I love that page. I love, I love writing that page. Cause I'm saying, man, Graham, is just going to kill this? You know, <laughs> just in, in her face screaming. And I was like, Oh God, I'm so glad that he wanted to go for the mask where we can see his expressions. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. Just, yeah. You know, screaming in her face and, and I saw the page I, I, I broke out I was laughing out loud it just was so perfect so perfect he just, he just you know I often picture the art when I'm writing but it's never what I picture and that was so on the money from what I pictured he would do <laughs> that's great when you when you guys are collaborating, like how much like how much back and forth was going? I mean, obviously, Chuck, you're writing the scripts and you're sending them to uh, to Graham. But how much kind of were you guys chatting and talking about it as it was coming together, or did you kind of was it a little bit more siloed, or how much was the collaboration really happening? I think we we talked quite a bit. Yeah, most of the collaboration happened on the front end in the plot ideas and the character stuff, um, and then once all that stuff was laid out. You know, then Chuck would just go back to his cave and, and, and you know, make the magic happen and, and, and send it to me. If I had questions or I had ideas or something about something that came in, you know, we could always talk to each other and, 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 and you know, run things by each other and stuff. So, yeah, I think we did, there, were, there, were, there were a few emails going back and forth and stuff. And, you know, I was working, as I always do, I was working way ahead of Graham. So if he had any suggestions or changes or wasn't happy, because I mean this is this was a total collaboration. I wanted him to be as happy as I was uh, with the scripts. I wanted us both to agree on everything. Uh, <clears throat> my biggest thing was the last issue. I was really kind of on pins and needles to find out what he thought of that issue. If he thought I like totally punted it, or mm. if he saw what I was trying to go for, and you know, he, he like well he told me he liked what I went for. So, <laughs> so he yeah. lied. He lied to <laughs> you then. Oh, he never lies. No, 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 no. I know immediately. That's why we work so well together. I know immediately when Mr. Nolan is unhappy. So, <laughs> particularly on I'm unhappy. Particularly on Batman projects, you know, because uh, I bow to his judgment. I, I early on in our collaboration on Detective, I, I disagreed with him on something and, and paid the price. <laughs> <laughs> because he is he's always right when it comes to Batman he's always right so um, another sequence I want to mention in terms of the, the, the moments of humor that work uh, this one is much more darker humor is uh, in issue 6 when we first get introduced to the again the, the jerk Naja Naja and um, he gets you know brought up into Cobra and he has the, his car and his, his girlfriend there and he's like you know what must be done and they just dump the, the woman and the car and he's just not the car too you idiot <laughs> I love that sequence and when I read that I saw that in my head that I had got to pull this camera back for some negative space so we could really really laugh at the fact that this car and then you see the little figure falling out of it yeah, dropping you know oh, yeah, it's funny because it's violent but it's bloodless I mean you know what's going to happen to this poor girl true but, you're right it's very bloodless like, it like almost... Graham pulled the camera back so far it, 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 it perfect just perfect when he pulls the camera back like that, I could swear I could hear like a, a Looney Tunes sound effect, like because it's that kind of moment. Yeah, he was humming it while he was drawing. I'm sure <laughs> he was humming the Looney Tunes. And Graham, I gotta I say, put an acne in. Oh, 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 oh much, God, too much, too far. Um, <laughs> No, Graham, I do have to say, I don't know what it is, but you're so good at illustrating people screaming. <laughs> because you really feel how how pissed off that guy is on the next panel. Like, just not the car, too, and he's just so angry. And again, it just play, that's what kind of, again, is that emphasizes that dark humor there, that he just doesn't care about her at all. You know who was really good at that, too, was, uh, was uh, Jim Apparel. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jim could make people bark, you know, uh, and, and it, you know, also punches. When Jim and Power drew a punch, you know, you felt like the teeth were rattling on something, you know. <laughs> but 
I, you know, I, I, Graham's so good at the subtle body language stuff because I, you know, when he was on the Rex Morgan newspaper strip, I used to just marvel at it because, like, there's nothing going on here, but I'm fascinated. I'm led from panel to panel. It all seems natural. You know, the people are moving like real people. You know, and they're and they're reflecting what's being said. In, you know, in the dialogue. So, I learned a lot doing those strips. Uh, for when I came back into comic books. Uh, when there were talking scenes and stuff, how to punch those up and make it more interesting. Uh, so that, that time was well spent, I think, uh, doing the uh, soap opera strips. Yeah, I mean, that stuff is so important because, I mean, like Jack Kirby, he's known for all the you know planets exploding and gods fighting. But, you know, you look at his work and if, like, Reed Richards is lighting a pipe, it looks so natural. Mm-hmm. I mean, he understood yeah. all those little gestures and nuances so perfectly and people ignore that aspect of comics entirely yeah so, John Buscema was good at that too oh yeah oh yeah it was all looked so natural like, like he'd draw those effete like princess princes you know and they'd be like you know looking at their fingernails you know and you know just those little those little nuances I love that stuff mm-hmm. so I don't want to keep you guys too much longer but I did uh, want to mention or at least bring up uh, so Graham you have a Kickstarter going on right now I do. I have uh, one more, more week. So this uh, for, is, it's for Monster okay. Island and uh, uh, the uh, Black Book uh, art of Graham Nolan. Now, which which date is the Kickstarter end? Uh, a, a week from tomorrow. A week from tomorrow. So that'd be the twenty sixth. I'm just so I'm just thinking this is going up probably on the twentieth. So people still have at least six days to to go and fund. And can you talk a little bit more about oh. about Monster Island? Yeah, Monster Island was a project I, I did 20 years ago. Uh, I, uh, I I pitched it around and nobody would bite on it, and I and I decided, well, I'm going to self-publish it um, because I wanted to do a comic that my my daughters could read uh, and enjoy, and that uh, adults could read and enjoy at the same time because the comics were getting too violent and overly sexual. So uh, I, I came up with this idea. I did Monster Island uh, as a comic book. Uh, a 48-page one-shot, and the the intent was always to do the follow-ups. Uh, I had sequels written and uh, and plotted out for Return to Monster Island, Escape from Monster Island, and Battle for Monster Island. And um, the market dropped the year it came out, so you know I didn't have the funds to do it. So it's been something I've been wanting to do for a long time. And then the guys at Ominous Press approached me about it, um, wanting to do something with it, and. Uh, uh, they convinced me, you know, that this would be a great idea to do as a Kickstarter. We'll do a 20th anniversary edition of it, hardcover, oversized. And um, I, I shot everything from the original art. So you can see every little brown uh, uh, paste up, every little white out, every little, th- every little mark. So it's really, it's a, it's, a, it's a comic and it's an art book all at the same time. Wow. That sounds great. Yeah, I, I wanted the person holding this book to feel as if they're looking through the original pages in my studio and reading the story at the same time. Of course. Because like, unlike the IDW, you're not getting the complete stories. That's, yeah, that, more often than not, that is true. That's Yeah, so that's definitely a, a big bonus here. Now, I know that, I guess, there's uh, some extras and new pinups. How did you get these artists that are involved to do new pinups for this book? I just asked them. <laughs> no bribery. No, no, I just asked them. I said, "Hey guys, you know, they're all friends of mine. You know, there's none of them that I didn't know. So, you know, I started with guys that I knew, uh, and said, hey, you know, I'd love to if you could do a pinup for for this thing. You know, if you had the time or the interest and all that. And by and large, they were like, yeah, when do you need it? I'm in. You know. Now, I, I'm sure you can't. So, ant- you can't answer this question, but which which is your favorite? <laughs> well, they're not all in. Uh, I'm still I'm still waiting on Lee Weeks. Um, I'm waiting on Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, and I'm waiting on uh, uh, Tom Richmond. Okay, uh, but all those should be in by the end of the month, I think. That's 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 an it's an amazing lineup of, of people to again if you're looking at the extras that are coming with the main story that obviously is you know the the main incentive for this and then um, how did the how did the black book come about? Uh, that's 
part of an art series that uh, Ominous does. This is the third in the... <laughs> Excuse me. It's the fourth in the series, uh, uh, the Black Book series. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, they just approached me about that, too, you know, collecting artwork from my 35-year career. Uh, so I've gone back into the files uh, and pulled, you know, stuff from pitches that never went anywhere, ca- uh, character designs, uh, sketches for covers that, you know, maybe were rejected, uh, along with, you know, original art. And almost everything in the Black Book is shot the same way as Monster Island. I shot it from originals that I that I have, um, so that you can see, you know, the DC markings and editorial notes and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think it, I think fans really like to see that stuff. What What was the experience like for you, kind of going back through your archives to kind of pick out pieces to be in the book? And like, is it easy for you to look at your old artwork, or is it kind of a painful process sometimes? Because some people are just like, I can't look at my it's old stuff. Sometimes, you know, you look at it and you're like you see. You know, I look at stuff that I do today, uh, and you know, if I just finish something on my desk today, I look at it and see. I see every mistake I made. You know, sometimes time will soften that, and I'll look at it, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I was too hard. This, this is really good. Uh, and other times it's not. You know, I'm like, oof, yeah, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I'm being honest, you know. Um, but that's just, you know, how I am. You know, I, I never want to be satisfied. I always want to have something to strive for. Otherwise, I might as well just pack it in. If, if I develop a style that's just completely mine and that's all I do and then um, I think I'd get bored and, and, and think that oh I've made it this is me this, this is my brand blah 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 you know I think I'd be bored hmm. that's fair and are there any other projects that we can kind of look for, for from you right now or is it main, most of the focus going into the Kickstarter well most of it's going into this uh, as soon as it's done I'll be starting work on Return to Monster Island which will be another uh, hardcover book, full, but this one will be full color. Uh, and actually, the, there's an eight-page prologue, full-color prologue, that'll be in the 20th anniversary edition, so people can read the story, and then they can pick up exactly where we left Mac and Duke and see what they're up to now, which will lead you into Return to Monster Island. Okay. Uh, and then I'm also uh, writing a, a series for Aftershock uh, that uh, Butch Geis is illustrating, called The Girls of Dimension 13. Oh, wow. I, uh, so, I love Aftershock stuff, so I'll, I'll definitely have to pick that up. They're putting out some amazing books these days. Oh, I agree. And they just uh, they just scored a couple deals. Uh, two of their... They just announced today one's going to a TV show, and last month something's becoming a movie. Mm-hmm. So they're starting to get things moving. Oh, for sure. And they've got some great guys over there, so I, like, I hope they yeah. can continue to do well, because, yeah, they some tr- tremendous comics in the last few years mm-hmm. I agree now Chuck we don't want to ignore you oh. <laughs> so where where can people enjoy more of your work right now uh, put my name in on Amazon uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got a new uh, the first issue of a new superhero series called Avalon it's available uh, on Kindle right now Okay. Uh, it just dropped uh, last week it's doing really well and uh, I've got an Indiegogo uh, for Trump's Space Force. <laughs> so it's got another month to go. Uh, <laughs> me, me and Timothy Lim have taken kind of a National Lampoon approach, uh, you know, having fun with the idea of uh, a Space Force led by Donald Trump. So, um, Speaking of Avalon, where did that kind of, where's the concept coming from there? Because you're working with uh, Fosco, correct? Uh, with uh, yeah, yeah, it was just um, it's part of the the uh, all hero universe, but uh, uh, Vox Day sort of gave me my own corner of the universe. So I create this uh, fictional town, which is basically the very bottom of the South Jersey uh, Peninsula where Cape May is, but it's more like a Philadelphia-sized city, and uh, we have a bunch of low-rent vigilantes. It's a it's a the conceit of the universe is that there are people born with special superhero capabilities, you know, mutants, basically. They call them specials. And we deal with a bunch of guys uh, and a cow who uh, take a different path with their powers. But it's very um, urban action 
there's some humor, but it's it's pretty downbeat in spots too. And Frank Frank's artwork matches it perfectly. I have a, a random writing question. Um, when you're not working for Marvel or DC, and you're basically using a character who is a mutant or a metahuman, is it a pain in the ass to not just call them that? No, not really. I, I like the idea of calling them specials. I like the idea of coming up with our own language for it. Okay. You know, I mean, uh, you know, you're because you're, you know, I don't know if superheroes appeared in the real world that that's necessarily what we would call them. Hmm. And, and, and some of these characters in Avalon, there's nothing really super about them, if you know what I mean. <laughs> they're just sort of, you know, you know, a couple of them are real jerks. So uh, I don't think the, the, the populace would look at them as any kind of heroes. What is it about writing jerks that is very enjoyable? I think we all know more jerks than we know nice people, so we all recognize them. And I think we all, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, recognize the jerk in ourselves. And, and some, sometimes it makes the action more believable when the character's uh, motivations are more venal than mm. noble. Uh, I, I always think of the series of Flashman novels, which are about a basically a coward who lived during the Victorian era. And, and they're, they're these great military adventure stories told from the point of view of a craven coward. Uh, <laughs> and and it, makes it, all, it makes stories about the charge of the Light Brigade. Uh, all the more believable because this guy's seeing it from the point of view of someone who's absolutely terrified trying to get out of it. Mm. So, I, so that that kind of character has always uh, attracted me. The, the character with low expectations. I always say I'd rather write about a character trying to make his car payment than one trying to save the universe. <laughs> well, I want to see that now. <laughs> well, Chuck and Graham, thank you so much for uh, for coming on today and talking about Bane Conquest and also your upcoming projects. Um, I can personally attest that Bane Conquest was an absolute joy to read. It was a lot of fun to read it every month, and um, you know, I think people should, if they haven't already picked up the singles, they should definitely pick up the trade paperback. It's a great, you know, full story. Um, you're getting everything that you kind of need to enjoy it, and again, top-notch artwork by Graham, and I love the uh, the writing uh, by, by you, Chuck. It was great. Well, thanks for having us on. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks so Appreciate much. It.